The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. Welcome back from Thanksgiving weekend. I hope everyone had a lovely holiday, albeit I'm sure it looked differently this year. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast, Janie Miller, who is a licensed clinical psychologist. She's based in New York. She and I met, well, you'll hear how we met. We've been like Instagram friends for ages. And she and I ran into each other at Donnie Angie's, one of my favorite restaurants in New York City about a year ago. And she's just an all-around gem. And she actually approached me, I don't even know, must have been like six months ago to talk about mental health on the podcast. And I was like, that's a great idea. And then we reconnected about it recently. And I'm so excited to get into it today because I think it's something that's super important that isn't talked about a lot or enough. And we both want to break down any of the stigma around it and talk about it. So I'm actually going to turn it over to her to ask me questions and talk about life and mental health and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to bring it back to some helpful tips for everyone towards the end of the pod. So without further ado, this is Janie Miller. Hi, I am so excited to have you here today. I feel like we have so much to talk about. By the way, for everybody listening, this is not like a therapy session. We are just having a conversation about mental health, which everybody here asked for. So I'm so excited to have you on today. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited to get an inner look at Gabby's brain and give the world more of that and just chat all the things mental health. So like, let's tell everyone how we met because it was literally a year ago, like maybe like a year and a week ago, right? In real life, at least. Yes. In real life, at least in my head, we've been best friends for about forever. I don't know, forever. (laughs) Um, But our real life meeting anniversary is about a year ago. And it's, it's at a restaurant. We met at the romantic Don Angie's in what is that? The lower, is it the West Village? Village? Yep. Shout out to Don Angie. You actually were making winter outdoor dining a thing. I was. It's now a full blown thing. I mean, you were bundled up you were like, I'm eating this lasagna, there, rain or shine. <laughs> there was no getting around me. Well, Thomas had never been to Don Angie's before that night. And I was like, tonight's your night, Thomas. Like, we're going to go. We're going to sit outside. We're going to eat all the lasagna and Brunello. And then you guys walked down and said hi. And I was like, this is yes. so cool. Yes, yes, yes. It it was only right. Yeah. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. So you're a therapist. You have a private practice in New York. You see patients, I'm guessing virtually most of the time these days, but before you probably had an office, all that kind of jazz, correct? Yes, yes. I am by official title, licensed clinical psychologist, private practice in New York, and I've had to adjust, you know, the way everyone has. So we're all about the Zoom these days. And thankfully, it's been a pretty seamless or painless transition. Yeah, great. 
Well, I feel like you still get to see your patients. They get to see you. You still get to have that conversation. I th- I mean, I have one of my friends who just started seeing a therapist. They have kids and they did their therapy session from a car. So they had some peace and quiet. So I bet it's probably interesting to manage everyone's different living situations these days. Oh, absolutely. Whether you like it or not, you get a more inside look at people's <laughs> lives. I mean, you know, whether you're in a car or your kid is screaming in the background or, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. It really is. Well, I think what you do is incredible. I think it's so important that we talk about mental health. Tell me what you think is someone in the industry, but I think it's become more and more common to talk about it in the last couple of years. But up until that, it was very much a secret if you saw a therapist or anything like that. And I'm so glad that people are open to talking about it now because I think it's much, much healthier. Oh, absolutely. And talking not just about what you're going through, but even specifically naming your emotions is like you're already halfway there in terms of helping yourself through a difficult moment. So the fact that we're talking about it and even the fact that the pandemic has sort of forced us into talking about our mental health even more, there's a bit of a silver lining there because people are actually, you know, we're, we're, we're destigmatizing more and more that you can talk about how you're feeling, good or bad. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, I'll let you take it away. I feel like we're going to do a deep dive into my mental health and just have a really interesting conversation about it. Yes. Yes. Well, I think the reason I was so, I, I thought to myself, okay, a mental health chat with Gabby is necessary because I think that I'll speak for myself, but I'll also speak a little bit for people who follow you. You really kind of give off this upbeat, positive, and not in a, you know, everything's positive all the time kind of way. You give off this authentic realness but with this, you know, upbeat energy that people just like, they want, they want it, you know? And so, you know, they're in the kitchen with you when you're cooking, they're in, you know, your day. And it's just like this good energy. And obviously, you know, you're not a superhuman. You, as you've talked about, you've gone through difficult stuff, right? It's not that your life is without struggle, but I think something that you do is you really make a conscious choice daily to really lean on the good, to lean on the positive, to lean on what you are grateful for. Um, And I just think for people to hear more about how you've cultivated that, like how that's become such a part of who you are and something you bring to your daily life would just be, you know, inspiring and just really helpful to hear, you know, because it's not like you just kind of came out of the womb, you know, sunshine and rainbows, right? Like there are, (laughs) there's a way you live your life that I think people feel. So, you know, I'm wondering if you can just kind of start to speak to from your perspective, like how did you come to be this way? Yeah. First of all, thank you. That's very, that's like the nicest compliment (laughs) anyone has ever paid me, but Yeah, absolutely. And I'm an open book. I'll talk about anything. I say this to whoever I'm speaking to, whether I'm giving someone business advice or whatever it is, like I'm, there's nothing that I'm hiding. I think for me, waking up every morning and choosing to be happy is just easier than choosing to hold a grudge or be upset or like stomp around and be whatever, like whatever, insert emotion here. It's easier to choose happiness and choose joy, which I understand is not easy, but I feel very fortunate that my, 
my parents kind of ingrained that in me in a young age. Like if I got in a fight with a friend or someone, they wouldn't be like, oh, that's such a bummer. They'd be like, okay, well, how do we fix it? Like, let's be proactive about this situation and figure out you go over to Emily's house and talk to her and figure out why you guys are mad at each other or getting a bad grade. Like, okay, how do you fix that next time? That's on you, Gobby. Like, do you study harder? Do you go in for extra help? Do you ask the teacher to do whatever? Like, it's on us to choose happiness and like make the decisions to get there. Does that make sense? Hey everybody, Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business, transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese and Remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. It does. And I think you you also bring up something that I would love for you to tease apart a little bit further because it's not that you ignore the hard things or the fights or the, the sadness, the pain, whatever. It seems like you let yourself go there, but you are very much focused on, you know, moving through it and like, talking through it and, you know, kind of making the situation better for yourself. You're not kind of sitting and yeah, it's dwelling on it. Well, I think yeah. the, the best, most recent scenario of this was, is probably all the miscarriages. Like we've miscarried five times before we're pregnant now. And I remember, and Gabby, let me just say what, what an unbelievable thing it is. The way that you just open up and talk about it. We need so much more of that because you know, I'm sure that this is such a common thing for women and yet we're just not talking about it. So just right there, we had to acknowledge that. (laughs) Thank you. So I remember, I mean, there's two parts to this kind of conversation in my mind. I'm sure there are many more, but for as far as the miscarriages go, I remember after the first one, I was like, whatever, no big deal. Like everyone has one or two. It's not, it's no, like I know my mom had two in between my sister and I, like I was aware of that. But later, like after three or four, whatever it is, I remember looking at Thomas and being like, oh my God, what's going on? Like, is there something wrong with me? And he's like, no, this is 1000% out of our control. You've talked to every doctor, like there's nothing we physically can do to change this. Like besides trying another doctor and seeing what they, like getting another opinion, but like you, me, like we're fine. Like we're not there's nothing there that we can actively fix. Like I know I'm not doing anything wrong. It has nothing to do with the fact that I have a matcha every once in a while or the fact that I, like I'm I, that I lift too many weights. Like that's not making me miscarry. Like it, I know a lot, I get a lot of feedback on that on Instagram sometimes like, oh, please don't lift weights. You're, it's so bad for the baby. I'm like, we're fine. Like I flip tires in my normal life. This child's going to be just fine. But I just choose not to dwell on it. So like I know my husband still loves me even though we're going through this. So like, let's find a way to work through it together. When I had had like three miscarriages and really opened up about it to my friends before I opened up to it on social, 
it was wild how many people were like, I've had four. I've had seven. I was on TV once doing a morning show and one of the hosts pulled me aside. She's like, I just want you to know, like, your story is incredible. I've had seven miscarriages before I had my child. And I'm like, oh, my God. A, women are so strong. Like, we're such badasses. Duh. But B, <laughs> like, if you dwell on that and let it affect you every day, it's going to affect so much more of your life. It's going to affect your work. It's going to affect your friendships, your relationships. And I just choose to look at the good. Like, I know I have so many other incredible things going on. My relationship with Thomas, my cat. is Something as simple as that there's so much more to look forward to than whatever I'm dwelling on, whether it's miscarriages or you're getting let go from your job or whatever it is. You know, there's other things in life to focus on. Two things you just said that I think are so massively important that people might overlook. One thing is you make an effort or it comes naturally after all of these years of doing it to take in the simple joys, the simple, small pleasures. That is huge. And people, I think, have this idea that, you know, they need these massive, joyful events constantly in their lives to be happy. And when you live like that, you're constantly disappointed, right? You're like, well, where's the big show? Where are the fireworks? Where's the... When really there's such pleasure to be had in the small things that is clearly really helpful to you. So that's like one thing. The other thing that you mentioned is knowing as you went through all of this, that like Thomas doesn't love you any less. You clearly have, you know, this stable foundation that I imagine, and if we crack into your family a little bit, as you, I know you, you will indulge me there. You've created this stable foundation where you just, you feel that love and that carries you through the hard times. You know that no one's going anywhere. Right. So I wonder if you can expand upon that a little bit, you know, like Take us into your your household, you know, when you were when you were growing up, because it's it's clear to people that follow you that you're close to your family. Yeah, I had a I mean, I feel so blessed because I have a lot of friends who did not have the same style of upbringing as me. My parents are still married and they love each other so much and they are 100 percent partners. Like, it's really cool to watch them deal with things and go through things because they both know their strengths. They both play to their strengths, but they're there for each other and they've got each other's backs. And I grew up in a house where that was the case. Like when I was younger, my dad was just starting his private practice. Like he was gone a lot. But like when he came home, he was so in it with us. And it was just so cool. Like, it was so cool to know that we were such a big priority for him, even though he was also working really hard and operating on people and dealing with the stress of being at the hospital and all that kind of stuff. And same goes for my mom. Like, she just made a really beautiful home for us. And she worked as well. Like, we learned very early on that work was very important to both of our parents. My mom actually ended up going back to school and getting an art degree when we were I don't remember how old we actually were, but like we knew that it was important for her to do that. So it was cool to see that. And they put a lot of importance on spending time together. We would sit down for dinner every night and have a conversation. This was pre-cell phone days. So we'd actually like talk about what we did at our day. We would watch TV together at night. They made a really big deal about going on vacation, whether it was like to theme park in Texas or to Europe, like whatever it was, like it was a very special thing for our family to spend that week or two together every summer without anyone else. And another thing I think they were really big about growing up was being involved in sports. 
and working not necessarily as a team because I never played team sports. I've never played anything like I was a tennis or a swimmer. I never played soccer, but like I'm not a runner. I think that's I think that they saw that. <laughs> um, they wanted to play on your strength. Yeah. Like they I wanted to support you. They they really encouraged us to get out there and like go be social and do sporting activities and clubs and stuff after school and all that kind of stuff. So that's a little bit how we grew up. You know, what else is really interesting is the whole sports thing. If I threw a match, like if the if Nick was playing next to me, who was like my childhood crush and I just wasn't into it and I just cared about looking cute and like like and I just threw it like I didn't care. They never were like so pissed at me. They were just like, you're doing yourself such a disservice. Like, okay, you lost that match. That's on you, Gabby. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was dumb. But like, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to throw anything. I'm not going to like storm off the court or leave you at the tennis courts. But like, just know, like, that was really disappointing to watch. And to hear that as a kid, I was like, nothing is more upsetting than hearing a parent tell you you're (laughs) disappointed. And so you never do that again. Like, they taught a lot by action, And by their words, which I thought is super cool and something I hope that we can implement when Thomas and I have a kid. I mean, it sounds like they modeled for you really taking responsibility for yourself, not sort of from the parent view, not saying you lost, you threw this match, we love you less. It was such a departure from that. It was like, did that feel good to you? It seems like there was this emphasis on like, you taking care of you while they were in the background there to just like love you and support you, which is huge. I mean, that's talk about a foundation, right? Like that is stability. You were like, well, wait, did I want, did, did throwing that match feel good? Maybe not. Yeah. And like, Nick's not even that cute, Gabby. Like, what were you thinking? Like, it's, it's interesting to look back at all that. Now I see what they were doing. And I actually had this conversation with them maybe five or six years ago, I was on a plane. I was going to Ethiopia for like a charity work trip that I was on. And the guy that was taking us, Barrett, who's a dear friend of ours, is a father of four girls. And he was like, I need you to call your parents when we land and ask them how you are the way you are, because I want to be able to teach that to my girls. And I called my mom. I'm sure she's real pissed about it because it was an expensive call back in that day. I called from the hotel because like I didn't have international calling on Verizon or whatever. And I asked her and she was like, we were like everything you just said, she echoed. But she was like, we also looked at how we were raised by our parents. Like I'm speaking as my mom. Like I looked at how my Omi and Papa raised me and how grandma and grandpa raised your dad. And we picked the best parts of that to give to you. Like in anything we Mm. didn't want you guys to be a part of. We did. We chose not to have those conversations in front of you. If something was going on financially, they discussed that while we weren't there. If someone was pissed at one another, they didn't fight in front of us. Like, of course, they like threw a jab every now and then just to like be cute and cheeky. But like we never really witnessed anything jarring as a kid, which I think contributed to both my sister and I's kind of even keeledness. Well, of course, you know, I'm going to follow up with a question now about your sister. But first, can we acknowledge your parents were really intentional in parenting you guys? One, it takes a real sense of awareness about yourself to, to just have a real honest look at yourself and say, where, where do I struggle and where do I really excel, right? And then to look at your partner and say, let's mix this together and let's really be intentional about how we parent. And 
I mean, it's it, cool that that translated for you. Yeah, it was really cool. I feel very blessed to have that. They still do that. Like I will call them today with an issue and they're very thoughtful about how they respond. Like they never respond in anger or fear or whatever it is. They really process things and then take a minute to think about their response, which is not what I do all the time. So it's cool to witness that. So hopefully when I'm a parent, I can make those same kind of, you know, actions. Yeah, it sounds like your parents will really take a beat so that they're not responding out of like an anxious, tense moment. Right. And that just goes such a long way. Yeah, it's cool. So you and your sister both have this, let's get into the nuances here. You both have this <laughs> even keel, you know, solid temperament. Say more about you and your sister. Yeah, you so Anya's younger than me. We're very different, but we're exactly the same. Like I'm much more outgoing. Anya's a little bit more shy and a little bit more careful. I would say I, I kind of tend to just like do things a little bit faster and make decisions. And Anya is a little bit more methodical. But when it comes to like actual like thinking and processing, we process things like when we take the time to do it, we really think it through. So yeah, she's great. We have a very tight family relationship. Does she drive me absolutely crazy when we're on family vacation and I want to like scream at her and leave? Absolutely. Like that's part of the family dynamic, but like I love her. And it's also so funny how two people who can grow up together for how, I mean, how many years did we, I'm three years older and I left when I was 17 for college. So we lived together for 14 years. We could not live together now. Like we've become such different people, but when you get to like the core of who we are, there's so many similarities. I mean, look at the pandemic forcing people to go home and live with their parents and live with their siblings and live with, you know, it's not meant to be that way. I know all over the world, culturally, things are so different, but developmentally at 17, you were not who you are now. So of course, when you're around your sister and your parents for weeks on end, I'm sure it gets a little maddening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a totally different world. And she's with my parents. Like she has her own house, They but they all live in Seattle. So they spend a lot of time together. <laughs> <laughs> so people were very curious. And I think, how could we not go into the role of food for you? Because of course, you're what's got to be cooking. You're a wizard in the kitchen. How would you even pull the two together or would you not in terms of food and mental health? Like how do you have the relationship you do to food where it's just about enjoying and nourishing and all of that? So the food relationship is definitely straight from my mother. If she was on the podcast, like when we first launched a hundred years ago, not even, it, it was really in April, but it feels like a hundred <laughs> years ago. feels like 100 years. <laughs> Okay. So the relationship with food is straight from my mother. Like, and she was on the podcast, you know, 100 years ago at the beginning of quarantine when this started. (laughs) And we had, we had a conversation about that, but for her, and, and also this is how she was raised, I think as well, food was never bad. Like if you wanted a chocolate bar or a cookie in the morning, go for it. But like, if you have seven cookies before you go to tennis practice or swim practice, did you feel like shit? Yeah, maybe that Mm -hmm. wasn't the best idea. So food and like food was never a reward for us. We got whatever she put on the table. My dad loves to bake. So we were involved in baking with him. But like level headedness about food stems from that and that 
I don't think anything is bad or off limits, which is also why I think I haven't had any cravings while I'm pregnant because I never not allowed myself to have everything. Like if I want a grilled cheese for breakfast, I'm going to have a grilled cheese for breakfast, but that means I'm going to move my body a ton before I have a salad for lunch because I'm a, I want that balance. I don't want to eat something and the whole time I'm eating it being like, oh, this is a mistake, Gabby. This is a mistake. Like, I don't want that. Like, that's not healthy for me in my it's brain. It's not healthy for anyone. It's just so unfortunate that, especially as women, we are pumped with a lot of food noise and pressure and good and bad. And it's, I mean, you're saying straight from your mom, you got the opposite and like, look what it did for you. Yeah. Well, it also, she's German. I think it helps that she like was brought up in a very European family and not in America because I look at some of the people in America who are the ones giving the information on food and it terrifies me because I know that there are these little girls and boys watching them who think a double chocolate chip muffin is going to put you out for the month. Like, and that's not healthy for anyone to think about at such a young age, let alone in general. Like, no eight-year-old needs to be watching their parent have food shame mm-hmm. or food guilt and having that imprinted on them. Like that's terrifying to me. I don't ever want to do that to my children. I think that's really important to have a balance and level-headedness about your eating. Like food is meant to be enjoyed and you should do that. And you got to listen to your body. I know intuitive eating is a big thing. And I actually had two girls on the podcast a couple months ago that talked about intuitive eating and they did it in such an incredible way. Intuitive eating to them and to me just means how are you eating and how is it making you feel? Do you feel great? Are you so happy when you sit down with friends to a meal? Did you just cook all this amazing stuff and let everyone enjoy it? Cool, go for it, keep doing it. If you sit down and eat something and you feel like crap afterwards, maybe not the best choice for what you're doing to your body. And such a helpful distinction between good and bad versus helpful, feeling good in your body, right? Like those are two different worlds. And it's really unfortunate to your point that I don't think we in America do enough of the like, so how do you feel having made this decision, right? It's like, that was good, that was bad. What are you supposed to do with that? feel bad about yourself? And when does that propel anybody into any sort of positive action? That's not making anything positive. And maybe you do feel bad. Maybe you ate an entire thing of butterscotch balls for dinner last night. Like I literally did. Did I feel like crap? Absolutely. But I'm not going to let that ruin my day today. Like I'm going to wake up and make a better decision. And I think that goes back to waking up every morning and choosing to be happy and choosing what you want to do and how you want to tackle that day because you have that ability every morning. No one is in control of your life except for you. So if you make that decision every morning, I'm going to eat a little bit better than yesterday, or maybe I'm just going to have a half a bag of sea salt, butterscotch, caramel balls instead of one and a half bags. Great. That's kind of how I tackle every day, I think. Well, you make decisions based on how you feel rather than I'm supposed to be ashamed of this behavior because I've been told it's bad, which is major. And then you also, again, what we were talking about earlier, you don't sit and stew and dwell. You're like, that decision gave me a terrible stomachache last night. We're not going to do that again today. We're going to get up. We're going to move. We're going to just do it differently. And that's that rather than a drawn out, you know, shame spiral. Right. And it's the same way I look at relationships too. Like if something's not making me feel good, I'm out. Like it's friendships, work situations, things like that. Like, 
you have the control over how you feel. So use it. Like I remember Matt, my best friend, Matt, once told me you're a combination of the five people you spend the most time with. And he was like, so for you, Gabby, you are a a gay cat loving advertising producing (laughs) artist. (laughs) Like, okay, touche, fair. I've got Matt and Adam and Thomas, my cat, and like, we'll throw my mom in there. But like, to me, whether it's what you're putting in your body, who you're surrounding yourself with, what you're doing for work, like these are all things that have such an incredible impact on your mental health. You got to make them the best they can be, which is why, like I get asked a lot about friendship divorces because I've been very public that I've had three friendship divorces. It is what it is. Like, did they suck? Yeah. Do I miss them? Not really, because my life's better without them. <laughs> they were energy vampires. Right. So so can you speak a little bit more to the place you were in that prompted you to say, we need a divorce here? Like, what? Wh- where were you? And then how did you deal with that? Because that can be really taxing. That's a very tricky place to, na- to navigate, tricky waters some of them were harder than others. So one of them, my first friendship divorce was probably six or seven years ago. And it was someone I had met through the food world. And they kind of took an idea we had had together and went and sold it on their own without me. And I was appalled that someone would do something like that to me. And I just, I very calmly walked away. I never had to have a conversation about it because I think deep down she knew what she did was wrong and she went off and did this project and that's fine. Good for her. Like it didn't work, but whatever. Like it was very like for lack of a better word, it was just like a ghost situation. Like it was just over. My second friendship divorce was a friend of mine, one of my very close friends from high school who was getting married in Mexico And I remember she was telling me she's going to get married in Mexico. And I remember at the beginning of the process, I was like, okay, well, I like, I'm very scared of Zika. Thomas and I are trying to get pregnant. Like I'm nervous to go to Mexico. Thomas, four months before the wedding was like, I'm not going like Zika stays in men longer than women. Like I'm out. You can go if you really want to. And just like wear (laughs) a burqa, basically like (laughs) don't, don't get in trouble. And then a month before the wedding, I found out I was pregnant and I bailed and I was in the wedding and she had some very choice words to say to me. And I was gutted, gutted. I cried. I like called all my other friends. Like I did not know how to handle it. I was like, do I risk it? Do I risk this being pregnant and just go to make her happy? And ultimately it was a conversation with me, Thomas, my mom, my dad. And we're like, I'm being ridiculous like you can't go to Mexico and risk your kid's life. And that was the first time I'd ever been pregnant. So like, had I gone and then miscarried? Oh God, I don't even know what that would have done to my head. So anyways, we haven't spoken since, but I, I know like when I look back at it now, I don't know if we were adding anything to each other's lives or if we were just friends because we were in high school and middle Mm -hmm. school and grade school together. And then my last friendship divorce, I was working with a friend, which sometimes works and sometimes <laughs> doesn't work. And and I learned a lot of things about this person and her partner that were very terrifying to Thomas and I once we actually learned. 
And we were like, this is an unhealthy situation and we have to get out immediately. And there was much more to it. And like, but like what that doesn't matter. And it was just like, you just got to separate yourself from those situations. Like you have to cut it and remove it. It's like when you go in for a surgery, you're cutting out the cancer or you're cutting out the fat or whatever it is. And you move on because your life's going to be better. And honestly, I have no regrets about the decisions I've made for any of those three circumstances. So the way they all played out was different in certain, you know, there were nuances to them. But in all of the scenarios, you were just tuning into yourself saying, essentially, this doesn't serve me. Like this is either bringing me more pain than joy or, you know, disappointment or whatever. Like this doesn't work for me anymore. Now, how do I find my way out of this? Right. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what I ask myself a lot of times. Like if I have a dinner party and we have four couples over, this is obviously pre-pandemic because what are dinner parties? I haven't had one in months. If something doesn't feel good, I don't want to do it again. Like I don't want to have that one couple who was such a drag and fought the whole time over again. Like that brought the whole crew down. So I think it's important to pay attention to those things in your life, whether they're in your friendships or in your work or whatever it is, and really be aware of that. Like being aware of that is is the biggest part of it because then you can make steps to correct it. Right, which is what people I think confuse often. That's the bulk of therapy, right? Is to get to know yourself better. If you don't know what you're doing, how are you going to change it? And so you having that awareness, which how do you have that awareness, Gabby? I mean, have you gone down the therapy road? Have you like, how'd you get here? (laughs) I don't, honestly, it's a great question and I don't know the answer to it. Like, I mean, we've talked about it. You've basically given several of the answers already, but you know. Yeah, but like, but like, no, like I never went to therapy as a kid or anything like that. Like, I just think I'm really intentional with how I spend my time because I, And maybe it has something to do with how busy I am as an adult. And I only have time for so many fun things outside of work. And I really want those things to mean something. You also, we haven't touched a lot on something that I know is a huge part of you, which is movement, moving your body, being active, getting outside, like really pushing yourself physically. How has that and how does that continue to play a role in you preserving your mental health. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid and I would feel sick and my mom would be like, go sweat it out. And I'd be like, I do not (laughs) want to go to tennis, mom. Like, come on, let me just lay in bed and skip school. And that was never an option for her. Like she was like, no, if you don't feel well, like go sweat it out and like move your body. And every single time I came home and felt better. And, it, and I don't know if it was the sweating or like hitting the ball with some of my friends and like being out there and giggling and, you know, that kind of stuff. If I don't move my body in some way every day, I can feel it when I go to bed. Like I don't sleep as well. I don't process things as well. And, and also like being active, even if it's going for a walk, it's kind of social, like find a neighbor, find a friend, go for a 20, 30 minute walk, listen to a podcast, laugh. And like, it's going to start your day on a better foot. So yeah, being active is huge for me. And before the pandemic, I probably spent two hours a day working out with people in some way, whether it's my trainers who I love or at Pilates with a friend or going for a hike instead of having a meeting in a conference room. Like I'm trying to do that as much as possible because I think we have better ideas when we're active. You get to work out and have a meeting at the same time. I just think that's, that's a big part of keeping my mental sanity in check. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and you may not have known this, but the research backs up exactly what you just said. I mean, the way that we feel good is by taking kind of cobbling together all the things that you've said you practice in your daily life, right? Like it's getting outside, it's getting fresh air, it's getting sunshine, it's moving your body, it's connecting with loved ones, it's engaging socially in some way. You know, it's getting creative, it's being intentional with your time. It's, you know, it's sort of all of these things that come together to create like a generally more joyful existence. Yes, all that. People are very concerned about seasonal depression especially as we roll into month number, what, nine of kind of not having normal lives. Like what do people do for the holidays? What are some like, besides being connecting via Zoom or going for a walk or whatever, what are some cool things that people can do to really be thoughtful about stuff like that? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really important shift that I would encourage people to have because I think especially going from warm to cold people become very afraid and very panicked and they see it as this like big, dark, kind of gloomy time they're rolling into, which is understandable. It gets darker earlier, right? But there could be a huge internal mindset shift. I would love for people to think of the darkness. One is a completely natural thing that we need as humans. We have to shift our body clocks in these ways. And But to think of it as like, oh, so here's now my time to like go inward and rediscover parts of myself and like get in touch with myself and figure out how I can feel rejuvenated and relaxed and restored and refreshed rather than this big, dark, gloomy thing rolling in, you know, like it's, it's, it's a, just a big shift. Right. And like take the next couple of months and watch those movies you've wanted to watch or clean out your closet or organize your kitchen or whatever it is. Do the things you didn't have time to do when you were outside at the park or having a picnic and get that stuff done now. So come March or April, when things are hopefully better and we can all maybe fingers crossed have dinner parties again, you feel like you're walking out into the world with your best foot forward. Right. I I think that's, you know, we can of course, address all of those fundamentals that we did earlier of, you know, even when it is cold, get outside. When it's cloudy, you're still getting the light exposure you need to impact your mood. Like all of those things are so important. You know, the blue block and glasses and all of that really can help in terms of your mood. But I think having, having that shift in terms of how you think about the winter, you know, as this scary thing, really this is a time for you to go inward and like find the ways to treasure yourself. If you're alone in this time, which a lot of people are, that may feel harder and you're going to want to ramp up the connection to your loved ones, even if it's on Zoom, right? Like things like that are going to take creativity. But I think the biggest thing people can do and you've got to work at it if it's not ingrained in you is just finding the things you're grateful for, finding ways to cultivate joy and pleasure, the small stuff. Okay, sorry for that small intermission. Neither one of us remember what we were actually talking about, but Thomas just walked into the room and told us that we finally have a president. So we we are recording this a few weeks earlier than you guys are listening to it, but we just had a slight intermission and now we are back. We are back, we are breathing, we are a bit overwhelmed and we're showing you what taking care of your mental health looks like in real time. And now we know why there were horns hon- honking outside of your apartment and That's people right. like screaming down the street for me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Oh my God, I can hear them. It makes me so happy. <laughs> Anyways, back to seasonal depression. <laughs> like this is a great example of it. This is a victory for a lot of people. Maybe not everyone. Also, that's something might be interesting to talk about. I got a lot of really interesting messages during the election from people who were a like, A, thank you for speaking up or B, I'm going to burn all of your cookbooks. <laughs> it's like, can you just like donate them to the library instead? <laughs> like, like that's contributing to greenhouse gases. Don't burn them. But I think no matter what's going on, like if you have differences with your friends or your family, it's still okay to call them and connect with them and talk about other things and give yourself those little moments of joy and connection during this time of the year. Yeah. And I think you said something like, and I know we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but like, I don't believe people are good or bad. I believe that we have conversations on conversations to be had regardless of who is, you know, the person in the White House. That is a must. And, you know, it's unfortunate if there are people out there who want to burn your cookbooks. We advise against that based on their (laughs) beliefs. Um, But I think, you know, you don't have to cancel anyone. You don't have to not love anyone. But like the conversations must be had, right? That's exactly what my mom said to me yesterday because I sent her what someone had sent me. And I was like, what do I do with this? And she's like, well, you can react and you can send them a snarky message back, which is what I know you want to do. Or you can write back and say, God, I'm so sorry you feel like this. Here's why it was important for me to talk about Stacey Abrams, because I very much care about districting and fair voting rights and all these different things. And honestly, none of that is political, but it's the conversation, like having that conversation with people and just and, and my eyes need to be open to different things as well. I'm sure. But just like having the you know, the five minutes to have that conversation with someone who has a difference of opinion than you is huge and can really make a difference in their day. Yeah. Regardless of the person in power, our ears have to be open. We have to be talking. We have to be thinking outside of our narrow view. We have to be checking our privilege, like all the things. So here we are. Here we are. And now it's like, you know what? You know what? Now I think a lot of people can hang their hats on because I've heard a lot of people saying, look, the election is shaping up to look like X. It's looking like Joe Biden is going to win. Breathe a sigh of relief if that's where you are. Breathe a sigh of anger or rage if that's where you are. But regardless, we can move on now. We can like work hard. We can, you know, increase the conversations. We can like now move forward with hopefully a little more relief in our stuff. And being inclusive. I think being like, that's a huge, huge part of it. Oh, you know, what was interesting, Gabby. The one thing that I remember saying to you, Someone wrote, and I think it's really easy to have this feeling with you. And I wonder if you can clarify this. Someone was like, how are you not anxious? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's interesting. It, the easy, anxiety? It's, it's easy to paint you like you're unflappable. You are, you know. <laughs> well, like define anxious and anxiety for me. Like, because because people in my life have anxiety. I I see it. Thomas has had it before. Like two of my very best friends are high anxiety. Like tell me what it means from a professional perspective. Well, and people are going to answer you slightly differently here. But what I say to people all the time is anxiety is sort of this kind of physical manifestation, like a, like an orange flare up of some kind. Something is going on inside of you. You're having some kind of feeling that maybe you're not looking at. And so now your like heart rate is elevated and you're you know, like, like something is going on. It's like a signal. It's really a signal. 
And some people who you might even give the label anxiety disorder, they're like having that signal consistently. It's like really getting in the way of their everyday lives. So you may not be someone who is, people can't see me, so my hand motions on a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, on this sort of holding your breath, like letting it go. You know, you just kind of move. You just kind of roll with the punches. You know, you, you're not easily thrown off your game. No. And I actually credit a lot of that to my tennis coach, also my parents. But my tennis coach growing up had, we, he was a mental toughness coach. And we would sit down before matches and visualize and write down what good gobby tennis looked like and what I needed to do. Because like, I can't control the other person on the net. And this is a metaphor for life. I can't control the person on the other net. I don't know if they're a pusher. I don't know if they're going to hit the shit out of the ball and I'm going to have to run for two hours straight. I can't control that. But I can control what I know is good gobby tennis and how I'm going to play the ball. It's about the ball. It's not about the person on the other side of the court. Like I have felt anxiety before when I was this pregnancy, before I would go to every doctor's appointment in my first trimester, I was a disaster because I'm like, I'm going to get bad news. You were nervous. You were, and you were thinking, I'm going to get something bad is coming. Right. Cause I've never had good news before at, the, at an OB. Like, yes, I let myself have those emotions, but I know at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about that. And I'm just playing the ball. And so that's what I'm going to focus on is doing everything I can for myself to make myself be in the best possible position to handle whatever it is that's coming my way. You guys, Gabby is not a trained professional, but I'm here to tell you, she has all the clinical wisdom. <laughs> She doesn't sweat the small stuff. She doesn't shame or guilt herself. And she focuses on the good. Thank you. Thank you. And I think those are all things that are, A, easy to say, but also little things we can all focus on on ourselves. Oh, absolutely. It's the small fighting sort of every day that, you know, to keep up with the sports and the, and the movement metaphors, you got to flex that muscle constantly. Yeah. Oh, it's so important. It's and so important. you've been flexing it your whole life. So the people that are listening that are like, oh my goodness, I don't, I wasn't raised that way. I, I've been living 35 years with none of that. Like you got some work to do. Yeah, but it's never too late. But it's never too late. The work can be done, but it is work. Right, it is work. But like, I like to talk, like my best friend, Matt, he's 50. He never was a big athlete ever. And he's lost like 50 pounds in the last two years and has become like a Zumba professional dancer. It's because he worked hard at it and he looks like awesome. And it was just like a really hard 18 to 24 months of his life getting there. And now look at him. So I think it's doable no matter what your age, what your job, anything like that. Matt is a Zumba superstar whose class I hope, <laughs> I hope to have the honor of taking one day. I'll bring him to Donnie. I'll bring him to Donnie and G's with us. He go. can just eat lasagna with us after he Zumbas. <laughs> or it goes, we all eat lasagna, then we do Zumba. Either way, or the opposite. Whatever do, doesn't matter to me, but like there will also be Brunello involved in that night. So, For you know, sure. maybe we Zumba first. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this. You are an absolute gem. I feel so lucky that we just got to spend that last hour together. And thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you so much. 
All right. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Please let me know if you want to hear more about these kinds of topics. Um, I think they're super interesting and it's fun to talk about things outside of food and recipes. So keep me posted. I hope you enjoyed that. Her information, if you want to talk to her or reach out and set something up, is all in the show notes. She's an absolute gem. I've never felt so at ease talking to someone who I'd only met for like 20 minutes once before in my life. (laughs) Anyways, I hope you have a great week and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.